1: Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
0: Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low-intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC.
2: Welcome to the Roto-Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at JakeSki52. Today, John and I are going to be making our fantasy picks for the biggest fights of UFC on Saturday in Vegas we'll throw in a little bit of Ultimate Fighter finale talk as well but first off John, uh, how's everything going and uh, what are you getting ready for this uh, weekend of fights?
1: I'm doing good thanks, Um, yeah it's a good weekend of fights Uh, you know I don't know if the pay-per-view is quite as stacked as people thought it would be or it looked like it might be at some point Mm -hmm. but the first half of this year has honestly been pretty quiet in terms of you know big money matchups and it seems like starting this weekend and then of course heading into 214 uh, the pace is picking up so mm-hmm. if you're a fight fan uh, the next couple months, present a lot of good interesting matchups
2: yeah and absolutely one reason this 213 card is a little bit more underwhelming than originally anticipated is uh the fact that uh cowboy cerrone uh donald cerrone and and robbie lawler were supposed to square off in a welterweight matchup on this one of course cerrone's a fan favorite lawler a former champion but uh you know donald cerrone came down with an injury so that's going to get pushed from 213 to 214 there. I mean, that's pretty much, uh, that really shifts it over in 214 looking a little bit better. And, uh, you know, it's a tough one because that would have been a great fight to see on this card.
1: Definitely would have been a great fight, but I, I think Cowboy taking more time off is actually a good thing. It seems like of late he's getting hit more than ever and he's struggling more than ever. And Robbie Lawler is one of the last guys on earth you want to go in there against at less than 100%. So I'm sure nobody's happy that about the fact that we have to wait a little longer to see it. But I think in the end, it might make for a more interesting fight when they finally do get together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it it will be a good one. You definitely don't want to go into a fight with Robbie Lawler, someone who's always ready for a war. And, I mean, Cerrone's injury, he had a pulled groin or or a groin strain, something along those lines, as well as a staph infection. So it was more than one thing bothering him. And uh, he definitely – I know you have to – Cowboy's someone that you have to stop from himself because you know he'd be in there if uh, the opportunity – if or if he was allowed to even.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. And that's one of the things. You know, We always say he would be better off taking six and seven to eight months off at a time like most fighters do. But that's just not his personality, and mm-hmm. it's never going to happen. And obviously you don't want anyone to get injured. But if that's something that is the reason that he will take more time off and help him recover – um, you know that's a good thing that he he's giving his body more time off.
2: Absolutely. Well, hopefully we'll see Cowboy at his best at UFC 214 on July 29th. That's just three weeks from Saturday's UFC 213 live in Las Vegas at the T-Mobile Arena. Beautiful place there. Here, let's kick off our discussion on that though, John. With the main event, we have a ladies bantamweight championship between defending champion Amanda Nunes, uh, the challenger Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, both fighters are. You know they're they're pretty even. Uh, the the money's moving back towards each other to make it closer to a pick'em. But as I last checked, Nunez was a slight underdog. We're talking minus one hundred hundred, minus one ten. Minus 110, whereas Shevchenko, uh, she sits in the you know minus one fifteen, minus twenty. So uh, of course y- you know you can't make a ton of money betting on either of these women. But um, but Nunez is the underdog and she's the champion. Does that surprise you, John?
1: It does. And we were talking about this before we came on. This, like the odds and both that and the salaries would indicate is essentially close to a pickem, which is what we kind of expected but when that's the case the edge usually goes to the champion and I'm a little surprised that Nunez finds herself in the underdog position um, this is a rematch of a March 2016 fight Nunez won that fight via unanimous decision close fight but fight she certainly deserved to win um, neither woman has lost a fight since then and the reason i took nunez is i think she has more power and shevchenko might be the more accomplished striker in terms of kickboxing and combinations and those kind of things
2: more mm-hmm. high, high background
1: yes and i think but i certainly think nunez has the far better chance of landing those one or two big shots that can lead to a finish.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, and, Nunes, would it be in her best interest? She is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I mean, maybe she'll seek the finish early, but it, would it would it be in her best interest to maybe try to take this fight to the mat and, and grind out and wear on the conditioning of Shevchenko, who, like you mentioned, she's been through. She just had a five-round fight with Holly Holm, for example.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I don't think that's a bad idea because um, Shevchenko is um, kind of like, I don't want to say wiry, that's not the right word, but you know, sneaky strong. But I, think Nunez, if they got in, if they get in clinches up against the fence and that kind of thing, I think Nunez should have a slight upper body advantage. And you're right, um, standing and trading with Shevchenko is playing into her strengths. And her Muay Thai background is so extensive that even with Nunez's power, I think Shevchenko would probably take her chances if you, she wanted to get into a kickboxing match that she could outpoint Nunez. Mm-hmm. So.
2: No. I don't. Well, well, go. You go
1: ahead. To say. So I. I think while it might be in Nunez's best interest, she might just think, "Well, my power is so much that I can just overwhelm."
2: Mm-hmm. Now, are you worried about Nunez, the cardio being an issue in the later rounds? She hasn't had a had had a had a five round fight as recently as Shevchenko, and uh, you know there have been questions about her cardio in the past. If maybe she doesn't conserve enough energy trying to go for those early finishes.
1: It's something I took in mind, but I don't think I'm as worried about that as I would be with some other fighters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just to throw out a random name, um, if you take like, someone like Johnny Hendricks of late, who has had all those issues missing weight and everything, if you, that would really start to make you wonder how he would look if he was involved in a five-round fight these days. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you, you know, I think Nunes' conditioning, since she's got in the UFC, has gotten better. Mm-hmm. she's obviously been scheduled for five round fights but like you said um her two five round fights her title win over Misha Tate and the most recent win over Ronda Rousey you know they lasted combined just over 4 minutes a little uh, little over 4 minutes so mm-hmm. she hasn't you're right she hasn't been in the octagon for long stretches at a time and i think that's something to keep in mind
2: mm-hmm.
1: but um you know i i my guess is trading, um, you know, with the top team down in Florida. And, um, I think she would fig- have that part of, I would, at least I would hope that she would have that part of her game figured out at this point. And I think you can just tell she looks noticeably healthier is not the right, but she looks more comfortable, um, than she did early on in her UFC career. And part of that is the fact she's now trained at champion and is now training for the best, you know, the best fighters in the world. So, I think it's something to keep an eye on, but I don't really think it's something that would affect how I would pick anyone at this point.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I'm just kind of trying to play devil's advocate because you're picking Nunez. I'm picking Nunez. I'm in the same camp as you, John, where I think she has enough power that she will be able to end this fight. And you don't see this all that often in women's mma but the odds to finish on on this fight last time i look are minus 240 so the, the the sports books in vegas are saying that this one won't get into the later rounds and should that logic holds true hold true the advantage will definitely be in uh, on nunez's side and it's amazing because even though it's the under she's the underdog we we do our staff picks article for every big pay-per-view event like this and i just posted it earlier this afternoon before we recorded and all six of the people, you know, I asked these people independently. Don't let them look at anyone else's picks beforehand. Everybody, including myself, picked Nunez six for six here. So naturally, that probably means Shevchenko's coming out on top. But it, it, in oh, the okay. end, it, it's a surprising to see uh, Nunez as the underdog is the point I'm trying to make.
0: Yeah,
1: it, it definitely is. But like you said, it's, we're both surprised, a little surprised she's the underdog. But not so much so that we thought there would be lopsided numbers in her name. We, we, everybody pretty much is of the opinion this is fairly close to a pick
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we got a pick fight here. If you're doing DraftKings lineups, at least uh, myself personally, I'm going to actually use Nunez a lot because you get about eighty-three, thirty-three per fighter. Nunez, uh, 8,000, Shevchenko, 8,200. So both come in under the limit, but I'm trying to make more salary uh, room there by using Nunez and especially hunting that early stoppage here. So that's it as far as uh, the DFS strategy goes. I think if I do five lineups, it'll be Nunez and four, and you always want to protect yourself in the main event. So i probably do one Shevchenko lineup up just in case but uh john let's move on to uh the co-main event here one of the fights that i'm the most excited about uh on this entire card of this entire weekend here of course until we get to the end of the month but uh for now uh the co-main event of this uh ufc 213 will be an interim middleweight championship fight you know michael bisbing he's the champion he's had all these knee injuries of late so the ufc and dana white finally said all right we're gonna do another middleweight belt." This time we get Yoel Romero against Robert Whitaker. Uh, Whitaker is the favorite in this fight, which makes sense. He's a he's a much much younger fighter, and uh, I mean both have momentum though. But uh, Whitaker eighty three hundred on DraftKings, Romero just seventy nine hundred on DraftKings. Vegas likes Whitaker as a minus one thirty favorite, but it's not that far off from a pick 'em either, as Romero is just uh, plus one ten. Now, John Romero's forty, like I mentioned, but his physique looks stunning. And he's young in fight years. He only has 13 professional fights under his belt here. Whereas Robert Whitaker, a.k.a. The Reaper, a.k.a. Bobby Knuckles, which is an awesome nickname, by the way, he's got momentum on his side as well. So how do you see this one playing out?
1: Uh, Well, uh, for our regular listeners, uh, I've been with Whitaker for quite a long time. I uh, I hopped off the train last his last fight for Jacare Souza against Jacare and I paid for it. I'm uh, I'm back on now. But like you said, there I saw the pictures yesterday. I believe of Yoel Romero and the, the open workout that they had. Mm-hmm. The guy's scary looking. The guy is he looks he looks like he's made of granite. You, yeah. Good luck finding a guy in the company with a better physique than him and like you said
2: and you don't see this post USADA I mean the UFC c- cleaned up some of that stuff so I mean you could have argued in the past that Vitor Belfort even someone like Alistair Overeem these people that were that were cut that can no longer maybe use some of that stuff they were using before but this is post USADA in UFC and this 40 year old man is absolutely cut.
1: It's scary it was absolutely scary now um, of course the first thing people are going to see when they think of that when they see that is obviously the, the PD thing but like you said they cut, they cut that out but the thing I think of when I see something like that is his cardio he, he carries around so much muscle like you see in that in those pictures and I, I'm taking Whitaker because I think he can survive what is going to be I'm sure an early flurry from Romero in seeking out a finish and um, you know, hang on to to win the fight after that. uh Whitaker's recent fight with Derek Brunson was similar in the sense that Brunson came out like a House of fire, had him hurt early, but Whitaker was k- kind of able to fight his way through that and eventually use Brunson's aggressiveness against you know to his advantage um in the sense that he tired himself out. um you know, this is another close fight. Romero. Should have a strength advantage. Um, obviously, if you look at the guy, that's not surprising. And Romero, obviously, a world-class elite wrestler. But Robert Whitaker's career takedown defense in his UFC career is over ninety percent. That's elite. So um, I'm, Romero has the ability to take down anybody, even at age forty. But if if he's banking on you know dragging Whitaker to the mat over and over. In hopes of, you know, grinding on him, I don't think that's going to happen. So, um, I expect Romero to come out aggressive in hunting for a finish, and I think um, Whitaker is going to be able to survive that and then slowly regain the momentum and uh, eventually, you know, pull the fight his way
2: yeah i very much see where you're coming from and and it's tough uh, for romero to come up with a plan in this case should he try to go for that that grinding you know that wrestling style because he's a man that you get up he gets pressed up against you and you can see from his physique and just his tremendous strength that he will be able to force a takedown or two and will whitaker be able to outlast that carry all of that body weight uh throughout that fight that'll be a big question or will they will they both stand up early and uh you know, maybe they'll each go hunting for the big shot here. I was incredibly impressed by what Robert Whitaker was able to do uh, in his last fight against Jacare Souza. I think that was another one that we were all pretty much on Souza for. I think one of the best grapplers on the entire roster. Uh, took a tough break, a risky fight, and now Whitaker gets himself into title contention here. I have all the respect in uh in the world for whitaker however i am going to pick romero in this fight i, I everything that i've seen of romero so far his explosiveness uh, I, I think he's going to be able to get this one early it does concern me that this fight is scheduled for five rounds if we get anywhere past the, the third round you saw from not only Stoolgate, but you know just romero hasn't need needed to go that far in the fights before and when he had referring to that Stoolgate fight against tim kennedy where he didn't get off his stool on time and and there was all the all those questions he he Look gassed and tired in that fight. Of course, I assume he's been working on that uh, in preparation for a five round fight. But I think someone like Romero, uh, you, you know, Whitaker's a young guy, but Romero, his road is winding down uh, quickly. I mean, geez Whitaker's uh, as old as I am. We were both born in 1990, uh, whereas Romero, he sits at 40 years old. So I think the road is running out for Whitaker, and I th- or I'm sorry, for Romero. And uh, even though he looks great at 40, I mean, how many fighters do you realistically see? stay at a competitive level into their 40s. So he knows his door's closing. He wants that shot at Bisping before his career is over. He wants to hold up that belt. I think that this is another step forward. And similar to how you've been with Whitaker, I've kind of been that way with Romero. I picked him against Weidman, and I'm going to keep riding that train now here. And uh, that might be one that we'll disagree on in this fight.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's not... Look, I don't think anybody who's taking Romero is taking him with the thought of him, you know... Out you know him using his conditioning in the later rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that 's not the plan, but he certainly is an explosive enough athlete that he can end this thing early, so if you think uh, if you think Romero's going to win, I think he 's a decent draftkings play because mm-hmm. it would probably involve some kind of early finish, you would think
2: yeah, absolutely I mean, he sits at seventy nine hundred which is uh, more than four hundred dollars less than the average i mean if uh you know say you were to start this fight your, your DraftKings kings line them up out, out with nunez and romero you've all of a sudden got a little bit of money to play around with and there's some higher price guys we're going to talk about later but uh i mean you definitely need to pick some upsets and getting two right off the bat in your co-main and your main event is definitely a good way to do that. But John, we're gonna go ahead and move on to the next fight on this card. It is a heavyweight matchup here. Of course, they gotta throw uh, a couple of heavy hitters on the main event of International Fight Week, or the main card, I should say. Uh, and we're gonna have a trilogy fight here between uh, Jiu Jitsu Master Fabricio Verdum. And Alistair Overeem, Verum the under, Verdum is the underdog for this fight uh, at, at 7,800 on DraftKings with a plus 105 odds line there. Overeem, 8,400 on DraftKings. He sits as a minus 125 favorite. So it's actually a pretty close fight. And the odds to finish in this are intriguingly not... That big. It's uh, last I checked, it was minus one forty-five. Whereas even the ladies' fight is minus two forty. So Vegas says that the uh, the main event here between the ladies has a little bit uh, uh, more of a chance of finishing before the final bell than this heavyweight matchup here. But I'm not necessarily sure. I agree with that. Uh, I guess we'll see how it plans out because Overeem's a heavy hitter and Verdoom's going to do whatever it takes to get him to the mat. Which one do you think is able to succeed, John?
1: You know. Can I answer a combination of both because yep. it's rare you'll see it's rare you'll see a heavyweight fight where guys aren't landing at a pretty regular clip It sure seems like it just seems like there's such big bodies that um you know they're always constantly connecting and like you said, overeem is going to be searching for the knockout and the reason I picked for doom is because outside of his loss to stepe Miocic, which was if you guys remember a uh, it wasn't a fluke that he, you know, the finish, but the way it happened, Miocic threw, you know, one punch knockout off of his back foot, Um, you know. So the way it happened, I think, was kind of a fluke. Verdum, outside of that, hasn't been knocked out since October of two thousand eight. So you know, he's not a guy who gets finished easily. And I think, um, should this fight go, you know, closer to the distance, that Verdum should have a slight cardio advantage towards the end of the fight, Um, but like I much like Romero um I think Overeem is going to come out and, and try and pound Verdum early um the difference is this is a 3 round fight as opposed to the other one which is a 5 round fight so um again compelling cases for, for both guys but when you factor in the salaries for me 8400 for Overeem 7800 for Verdum, um I think Verdum is the better play here
2: mm-hmm. yeah and I would have to agree with you and uh, this is another. This is one that we agree on. Uh, and even though Verdoom's the underdog, it's interesting because our staff picks has four votes for Verdoom as just as opposed to just two for Overeem. I honestly expected it to be flip-flopped there. But let's quick run through the history. These two first met in Pride in 2006. Um, Fabrício Verdoom won. He was able to submit him with a kimura. Uh, and then the two met again in uh, their strike force days here, and they went to a full three-round decision, and, um, and Overeem was able to come up on top here uh, with a unanimous decision that was in 2011. So now, more than five years later, we have them going again, and I think... You know, it's really tough. Both of these guys are hot and the way that the, the heavyweight division is, is heading these days. One of these guys could very well get the next title shot, kind of depending on how that Junior Dos Santos and Francis Ngannou fight goes, as well as however Kane Velasquez is progressing in his recovery. That really muddles the heavyweight division up a little bit. But back to this one, I think this is one where someone like Verdum uh, is going to be able to He's going to try to get him up against the fence. And then once once he does that, he's going to be able to go for takedowns. And I think he will be successful in that endeavor. Um, you know, Overeem is a, is a slightly bigger man here, or a pretty big, pretty bigger man. Verdum's older a little bit. I mean, Verdum, or I'm sorry, Overeem has so many professional fights under his belt. Uh, I think that this fight will unexpectedly end up on the mat once or twice. And when that happens, Verdum, he's going to be able to possibly finish the fight of course if he can time everything right and it's so close though this was the toughest fight I had picking but in the end I got to agree with you and the DraftKings salaries just make it even even that much more make me lean towards Verdum
1: yeah very little separation and like you said it's not it's not totally inconceivable that the winner of this fight gets the next title shot again the the top of the uh, UFC heavyweight division like you said is very muddled there's a lot of of going, going on a lot of moving parts so um you know the one thing i will say is um if you do like overeem he he certainly i think we agree is the guy more likely to win be a knockout so if you think um you know there's a quick finish coming he might be your guy
2: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely when you stack the two Side by side. Um, surprisingly, Verdum in his UFC career. Now, this only takes UFC into account when I say these averages. Verdum, uh, 76.5 DraftKings points per fight, and uh, over even 65.9 DraftKings points per fight. And I know they show that figure when you're setting your lineups here, but that metric isn't adjusted for any kind of competition or anything like that. So, I mean, Verdum uh, is getting his wins. Uh, I mean, volume. He got the submission win, and he's landing a lot of strikes as well, so uh, he's definitely improved his stand-up game enough to possibly be able to contend with Overeem in that department. Will he do it, and and will it go down that way? Has it actually been enough improvement? That's something that we will see on Saturday night here, but an excellent matchup there, and those first three fights on that card are are almost as good as it gets, uh, unless you're looking ahead to 214 here, but but John, let's move on to the lightweight uh, fight here. We got another one, a man whose back is against the wall who needs a win in the worst way possible that is Anthony Pettis coming back up to lightweight to face Jim Miller Pettis a pretty big betting favorite at minus 240 Miller plus 200 uh, Pettis 8,900 on DraftKings whereas Miller is 7,300 now I read your DraftKings preview for this John and the way that you set this fight up we're both going to pick Pettis but I th- you think that these odds are a little bit too far apart?
1: Um, I yeah, I do, and I really wish I had some kind of answer um, for what has happened to Anthony Pettis, and I don't. And I'm a little surprised that it hasn't gotten more publicity um, in the sport um, over the last you know year and a half or so. This is a guy who was widely considered by many to be one of it was an up and coming star, former champion, widely considered to be. One of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world, and now he simply can't get out of his own way. Um, a guy who was known for crazy athletic ability and doing all these insane things in the cage, and the showtime kick against Benson Henderson, and he's now a guy who looks confused and hesitant, and like he doesn't know he doesn't know where he's going. And um, you know, the interim featherweight—he was gifted a title fight. Against Max Holloway in December, and um, he responded by missing weight. So um, you that's wonder where. Yep, that's hey, why he's back
2: yep. up at uh, at lightweight instead of featherweight anymore. He was going to try to reinvent himself, but that didn't quite work out. The cut was okay. too tough.
1: He's one in four in his last five fights, and there's he's he's only thirty years old. So there's no he's not not like he's an older guy who has lost his athletic ability or or should be you know should be losing any of his natural skill. But it's really, really confusing as to, to what's going on with Anthony Pettis. Now, Jim Miller is a guy who has been in the UFC a long, long time. Um, I've said this for whatever. He's a guy who is essentially a ground wrestler at this point. He gets by on grit and determination. He does just enough on the feet to make life miserable for you so he can wrestle and try and use his ground game. And if you go back you know, 18 months, two years, whatever. That's the kind of guy that you would think Anthony Pettis would totally eat a lot. Of. But that's just not the case anymore. That's not where he is at this point in his career. And um, it's hard to believe that we're at the point now where, like you said, we're both picking Pettis, but neither of us are confident about it. And I am... That 8900 salary for Pettis at this point, as far as I can tell, is based upon name recognition alone and nothing else he has just looked so bad of late that I would be even at that salary I would be terrified to use him Mm
2: -hmm. yeah I, I agree with you John it's just uh it's too risky to pay that type of price tag especially for someone who in his last five fights you know three of those losses were decisions so yeah he's got some time to maybe rack up some striking points but it is a very risky fantasy play now I don't want to get on him too much because if you look at Pettis' four losses over that five-fight stretch, we got Max Holloway, Edson Barbosa, Eddie Alvarez, Rafael Dos Sanchos, not Dos Sanchos, a champ. Alvarez was a champ before um, McGregor took it Barboza, one of the top contenders most dangerous lightweights in the division Max Holloway of course is the current unified UFC featherweight championship so all of those losses have been to names that were incredibly respectable here and I don't want to knock Jim Miller at all he's a veteran he's gritty he's going to try to get Pettis up against the fence and try to take him down but I think Pettis is going to be able to find a way to win here. I'm not saying it's going to be pretty. I'm not saying it's going to be a highlight, real knockout. But uh, the Pettis, you know, I, I keep saying this. Oh, he's got his back up against the wall. He's, he's got to win. But, you know, that's not necessarily always the, the right way to go when thinking about these fights because, you know, his back's up against the wall for a reason because he's found himself losing a handful of fights in a row. However, I do think Jim Miller is a much more manageable opponent than anyone in his last uh, five fights. I mean, not to knock Jim Miller again. Very talented uh, and respected veteran of the sport, but I think he'll be a little bit more manageable for Pettis to the point where, if I had to pick in a, in, a, in a straight up, I would say I would say definitely go Pettis. But the disparity in prices on DraftKings, you're right, John, make things just uh, a little bit too much for me.
1: Yeah, I, I think this. I think we're both in the camp of, you know, we'll give we're going to give Pettis one last try in the sense that we think he should win this fight. And if he doesn't win this fight, you know, I don't know what to tell you because. This, on paper at least, um, based on what should be a parent skill set, should be a clear win for Pettis, but like you said, he obviously has faced great competition of late, and that certainly has played into his struggles of recently, but I don't like what I see. He, he, like I said, he looks hesitant, he looks nothing like the guy who was, you know, renowned for his athletic ability. The guy was known as an elite athlete, one of the best athletes in the entire company, in the entire sport, and even though he's losing, we haven't seen any of that, and that's what scares me a bit. And you know, he, he, he shouldn't have a problem making weight since you know he has the extra 10 pounds he can put on his frame. But um, as far as using him in DraftKings, this is one of those cases where it's well, you're gonna have to show me that you got your act together first.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm very much in the camp where we need to prove it uh, first here. But you know, speaking of interesting DraftKings prices, John, we're going to move on to another heavyweight fight on the main card between uh, Daniel O'Malanchuk against Curtis Blades, uh, Curtis Razor Blades. I think that's just a perfect nickname given uh, the setup there here. But this is an enormous disparity. John Blades is a minus 800 favorite. O'Malanchuk a plus 550 dog. Blades is a whopping 9500 on DraftKings. Omalanchuk um, just 6700 Now, Now, uh, if you decide that you are going to use Blades and you are confident enough in that first-round knockout bonus to spend 9500 on him, you maybe only have enough for one other favorite in six fighters in your lineup unless you do take one of these $6,700 punt plays along those lines. Uh, I guess to keep it simple, John, the odds to finish are minus $185. Can Blades and will Blades pay that off with his $95 price tag?
1: Um, you certainly can. Um, there's no doubt about that, but um, as I've said on here numerous times, I am generally terrified of using any fighter with that heavy a price tag, because like you just said, if you put a fighter that heavy in your lineup, not only do you have to pick a ton of underdogs, but if for some reason, God forbid, that fighter doesn't rack up you know, a quick finish or a dominant performance, your lineup is essentially sucked. So um, I was talking about someone uh, on our page about this before. Um, Blades has averaged over his brief UFC career just under 10 takedowns per fight, which is obviously laughable, um, and that's not going to continue. But um, if Omelanchuk has shown one strength over the course of his career, it's his submission ability. So while Blades is you know a very good wrestler based on his pedigree, why would you want to wrestle and play into the potential, one potential strength of your opponent when you can stand and have a 4-inch height advantage and a 6-inch reach advantage and batter, what I imagine is batter the guy on the feet um, with little resistance. So it, it's a risk-reward thing for Blades. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand why he's a hefty favorite. I understand, well, I don't really understand why his drafting salary is so outrageous. But I, I think he wins easily, but... Whether you win easily and rack up a lot of fantasy points on a, an insane salary, um, you know, don't always correlate. They're not they're not always mutually exclusive. So, you know, I, I if I, if you are using him, I would just say that I advocate making multiple lineups because if you do put him in your one lineup, and God forbid something goes wrong, you're essentially
2: finished yep you'll be done for the night here and uh just to kind of give this a perspective of course i'm taking blades too but to put these odds in perspective blades is a bigger favorite over Oma the than floyd mayweather is against conor mcgregor and 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 you know you can say what you want about that fight but uh i mean that, that's how big of a favorite blades is so the numbers certainly going in your favorite. I just want to share uh, a little uh, DraftKings lineup that that I've got to, uh if if I start my lineup with my picks that I had previously, Nunez, Romero, and Fabricio Verdum, I did have enough to uh to get to get Blades in there and then after that, you know, you've got uh 16,700 to split across two fighters for your two remaining guys. I'll, I'll share those a little bit uh, later on, but uh it's possible to put blades in your lineup, but like like I said, John, you're going to want to go and protect yourself and not have 100% ownership on a guy like that because forking that salary for someone just in case, like you said, something can go wrong. And I mean, hey, favorites only win 60% of the time in the sport. So uh, th- that that is quite a hefty risk for someone who has shown, uh, you know, his only loss being to Francis Ngannou, just who Ngannou is an absolute beast, uh, and and then you know came through and rolled through his next opponents essentially. Um, but but you're right, that is quite a bit to put in to one fighter in any contest, regardless of what the name looks like here. But John, that's going to wrap things up for our two thirteen discussion uh, before we get into a couple other DraftKings value plays and, and stuff like that. Uh, can we quick talk about the tough? 25 finale card. That's going to be on Friday night. That's headlined Uh, by an awesome fight really uh, that I think is going to be a violent stand-up war uh, between Michael Johnson and Justin Gaethje. Now, uh, DraftKings is having a Friday night contest uh, and in in that contest, Johnson checks in as a uh, $8,400 price tag. Uh, Gaethje with just $7,800 here and of course Johnson is a slight betting favorite here uh, in terms of Vegas odds here. I want to say around minus 160. Uh, but how do you see this one playing out, John?
1: I am on record of saying, uh, and this was back when Gabe all through his World Series of Fighting run, where he was um, where he was champion, that I would not pick him against a quality opponent in the UFC, and I'm sticking with it. And I was having a discussion with somebody about this before. Um, I called Gabe essentially a one dimensional brawler, and um, the person I was speaking with mentioned that, well, he's not because he was a Division One All-American wrestler. Okay, well, you know, even if you're a Division One All-American wrestler, if you refuse to wrestle and all you do is brawl, you're essentially a brawl. You know, just because you have a skill, if you don't use that skill, then you really don't have it. John Volante um, is a perfect example. Same exact thing. Volante, an elite All-American wrestler. Hofstra refuses to wrestle. So, if you're refusing to wrestle, then you're not really a wrestler, now are you? And Gagey is... his Some of his fights in the World Series of Fighting, all he does is stand and trade with his opponents. He takes a beating. The guy can take a punch. The guy can deliver a punch. But Michael Johnson is not, um, not some of the opponents he faced in the World Series of Fighting. He is considerably better... Than the guys Gaethje has been facing. He's not Brian Foster. Um, he's not a washed up Melvin Goard, He's not Luis Palomino twice. He is on a different level than all the guys that Gaethje has faced in his UFC career and if, uh, in his World Series of Fighting your career. Excuse me. And if you think that Gaethje is suddenly going to enter the UFC here with all the energy behind him and all amped up and change his game plan and suddenly become a wrestler, uh, I'm sorry. I disagree with you. I just don't think that's going to happen. Like you said, I think he's going to try and brawl, and I think he's going to get a wake-up call in the sense of who he's facing and the level of competition here. Now, that's not to say he can't win a brawl. That's not to say that he, he has a lot of power, and he can take a beating. So that's not to say that he can't catch Johnson and finish him. But I'm telling you now, if he starts – and even if he gets by Johnson, if he fights the next talented lightweight and it's the same thing where he just goes ball to the wall and disregards his own safety and tries to knock out his opponent, he's eventually going to lose. And that's not, that's not exclusive to him. That's any, that's any fighter when you start facing the top guys in the world. If you don't mix up your game plan and you're predictable and you get into a brawl with these guys who are world-class athletes – and can do different kinds of things and different kinds of disciplines, you're not going to win.
2: Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's how it goes in the sport especially when you get to the highest level that is the ufc i was a little bit surprised that the ufc in his debut threw him right up against i mean okay to say what you want about their rankings but they have michael johnson ranked as the number five lightweight and lightweight is quite possibly the uh the most uh, just the the most deep and toughest division uh in the entire uh on the entire ufc roster so it's going to be a tough matchup for gaethje um i I keep going back and forth in this. Uh, you know, when we originally did our staff picks, I did pick Gaith G just because I think. I, I, I l- I, I don't know, I, for some reason I, I believe in the brawl and maybe he will fall back on his wrestling if he has to or if it gets that way and, and, and who knows, I think the energy, he's someone that's incredibly marketable, if he does get a win, the UFC has uh, just an awesome fighter on their hands that they can sell as someone who's absolutely willing to get into a slugfest, so you know I pick G, but I'm really torn about this one, uh, mostly just maybe doing it so I can get a leg up on the, uh, on the rest of the staff who uh, pretty much all went against me and picked Michael Johnson here, uh, maybe I'm just crazy here, but I, I like the newcomers' chances. And uh, but regardless, we're going to be in for an exciting fight. Definitely worth tuning into the Friday night event.
1: Yeah, it, it should be a good fight, and it should be extremely entertaining. It's just—it's one of those things where you know, if if you have a skill and you don't use it, you don't really have it. And he's never shown any inclination to use it. So I'm just saying, if he shows up tomorrow night and suddenly becomes a wrestler who mixes in a you know mixes in a combinations here and there I would be very very surprised
2: yeah who knows maybe he could just be pulling all our legs with the whole I'm going to go out there and brawl and do nothing else uh, thing because maybe he hasn't had to use it in world series of fighting it is like Oh, you know a super minor league compared to the UFC so maybe he just hasn't had to use it I, and and that's what's going to keep me going uh when I'm getting behind him but but John before we wrap things up on this show it's been a great show so far uh but we always like to talk about a couple DraftKings value plays we're going to focus on the 213 card is there any uh, particular name uh on that card that stands out as someone that you could use for a cheaper price and get some good value out of
1: well, I picked Alexi Olenek to, to, to defeat Travis Brown.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, um, this is similar to the Pettis-Miller discussion we have had in the sense that Brown has just looked so bad lately that I think it might just be a good time to go against whoever he's fighting. Um, and this is, this is a little different because Brown was obviously never on the level of Pettis, you know, he was never a world champion or anything like that, but um, this is a guy, Travis Brown one and four in his last five fights um, again the guys he lost to, you know, decent names, Velasquez, Verdun knocked out by Derek Lewis so again, hasn't lost to Scrubs but it's it's tough, and um, Brown is engaged to Ronda Rousey, as we all know, so would the, if he loses now, it would be his fourth loss in a row. Would the UFC really have the guts to cut him in a division where there's very little going on? And he, you know, he certainly has advantages over Linux. Like, he's five inches taller, but he's actually giving up a reach advantage of an inch. So, um, you know, this is one of those where I'm thinking against Brown because I've been terrified of what I've seen of him lately, and I think you might be able to get some value here because our Brown, he just strikes me as a guy who has been consistently overrated through the course of his career. And as soon as he was tasked with facing better names, it all fell apart on. Him. So, um, you know, this is a, again, I think this is a close fight and I'm not surprised why Brown is favored. Uh, all things considered, but, he hasn't shown enough uh, enough to me of late so i think olinick has potentials to value play
2: yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Olenek's a very experienced fighter. He's he's good on the mat, and you know, Brown just won't get rid of that that same camp that he trains at, and that has you know kind of led him downhill over the past few years. So I very much see where you're coming from uh, with that value play here. I did pick Brown in the fight when it comes down to it, but uh, you know that's that's because I'm picking a winner or a loser, not trying to wait salaries in that in that particular situation with the salaries and whatnot. Olenek uh, very much uh, has a good chance to hit value there. Uh, one name that I want to out there uh, on my side of things is uh gerald me at 7700 i'm gonna take a rufus sport product uh he's on an absolute tear uh in his last few fights uh you know leading before he entered the ufc and then once he got in the ufc the fight has minus 435 odds to finish i like that and you know tiago santos his opponent uh you know half to your price tag he does have good jujitsu, but he's also shown that he has been submitted before, uh, two or three times, uh, you know, in the last few years to be exact. Here, so Gerald Miescher, I like him to uh, keep his momentum going. You know, he trains at a good camp. Uh, you know, no, nobody's gotten in his way uh, of late, and I think he can keep that going. And at a seventy-seven hundred dollar price tag, man, that gives you—I uh, mean, like Olenek—that gives you a lot of freedom with your DraftKings lineup.
1: Yeah, another good play. Tiago Santos has. Again, the guy with the inconsistencies of late. So Mishard is definitely a guy who, given all things considered, given his value and everything, is a good play. I, I, I picked up the flat out win, even though he is both an underdog in the Vegas odds and obviously as you mentioned, the DraftKings are is another guy a good pick as a potential value play.
2: Absolutely. So there's a lot of fun to be had with lineups this week uh, for both the Friday and the Saturday cards. Out of everything this weekend, is there one particular matchup you're most excited for?
1: No, I think if I had to pick, it's probably the Romero-Whitaker fight, only because it's a guy who, it's a division with everything that's going on Michael Bisping and, you know, the rumors of GSP and all that stuff. Um, it's a division that is really unsettled at the top, and, uh, you know, being this is an interim title fight, uh, as certainly the interim champion would fight the real champion, who, you know, right now is Michael Bisping, but, you know, you look six, eight months down the road, who knows where that's going to be, so... I did see that
2: uh, GSP came out and publicly challenged, I mean, this is nothing new or crazy, but publicly challenged Bisbing to fight in November at Madison Square Garden, has reached out to Bisbing and Dana White, nothing official there as of now, but I don't know, I think GSP let Dana down this time through, and, and I'm not sure that's going to happen, so that, that co-main event uh, could very well determine the next Bisbing opponent.
1: Yeah, it certainly could, and um, for those who don't know, I'm a diehard New York Ranger fan, and uh, during a ranger playoff game gsp was actually at the garden um, and then tweeted it out so um you know there were that immediately made people put two and two together and think that you know he would be fighting on the up- upcoming msg card but who knows you know maybe he fights at welterweight you know but you know i don't think anyone really knows so you have a guy you have two guys a young kid who has essentially turned his career around moving up to middleweight and like you said mentioned earlier uh, you know a 40 year old in romero who this very well might be his one chance, and in a in a way, Romero's kind of unfortunate because i 'm sure we all would have picked if Romero was fighting bisping i 'm pretty sure we all would have picked Romero to win that fight
2: mm-hmm. yeah and that'd have been a clean sweep
1: now he gets now he gets a far tougher opponent, but you know that's what the sport is about, and nobody in any division these days outside of Demetrius Johnson can seem to hold on to their belt for any length of time, so uh you know we'll have to see where we are six, eight months from now.
2: Yeah, that co main event is gonna be the craziest one, you know. I wish I could cop out and say, you know, I'm looking ahead to two fourteen and that I'm most excited for bones in DC, but uh, as far as this card goes in, in, in itself, uh, you know, I, I got to go with that Comaine event, that has the biggest potential for for a highlight real finish, I think, uh, and you know, if it doesn't happen early, it might drag on a little bit, especially if, if Romero runs out of gas, but uh, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm in that Romero train, and I, and I think we're going to see something, but if not, we're going to see Bobby Knuckles put on a heck of a stand-up display here, so I, I don't see any way of that fight going wrong, or even really going too far into the five rounds. That it is scheduled for Uh, well John thanks for joining me today it it has been a pleasure Uh, we're going to get back uh, in time for UFC 214 which is just three weeks from this Saturday what a crazy card that is John
1: I I was looking at it before Uh, absolutely insane card and the whole build up and all all the press is going to be surrounding the John Jones and Daniel Cormier rematch as it should but you get another title fight with Damian Woodley and uh, uh Damian Woodley, Tyron Woodley and Damian Maya. You get the cyborg Tanya Evinger fight, um Roder the Lola Cerrone fight, as we mentioned, mm-hmm. the Jimmy Matterwa um, uh, Jimmy Matua fight, you know, uh yeah. throwing a hen out, which is an insane fight, is on the undercard. So yeah,
2: that absolutely. Is that's a
1: crazy. Loaded card mm-hmm. top to bottom. So like I said earlier at the beginning of the the podcast you know, it's been a little slow early on the first first half of the year, but it, it's going to pick up in the in the coming uh, weeks a month.
2: Yeah, most definitely here. So I don't want to look ahead too far because uh, I will be in Vegas to kind of see the aftermath of what's going on uh, in this weekend's uh, international fight week. But uh, looking ahead to 214, that fight is going to be crazy. Well, Hey, we want to thank you guys once more time for listening to the Roto-Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. Once again, please follow John Litterine on Twitter, J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. I'm Jake Latarski, Jake Ski 5-2. John and I will be back with you guys prior to UFC 214 again, Jones versus Cormier. Take care and enjoy the fight week.
1: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes